Well, we're in a series right now called Strong at Home. And why are, we, why are we doing this series called Strong at Home? Well, listen, we were just singing this great song. Uh, if you were with us in worship, just saying, Your kingdom come, Lord. Well, listen, we're recognizing more and more that if God's kingdom is really going to show up here on earth as it is in heaven, well, guess what? The place on earth that he's given us most influence and control over is our home. And we've come to realize over 2020 that the home is the new hub, right? It's like where we are having this concentrated experience of life. It's where we're doing our work. Kids are doing school. We're doing our shopping, entertaining, exercising. Everything is going on at home. So we've come to realize if we're not strong at home, we're not going to be strong anywhere. But if we are strong at home, we're going to be strong everywhere. And so we're, we're, we're diving into this uh, again today. And, and as we have the past weeks, we're, re- we're really reflecting on the story of a man named Nehemiah. Because we're seeing some real parallels between him needing to be strong at home and us needing to be strong at home. But when we begin the story of Nehemiah, we realize that, oh my goodness, his home city of Jerusalem had been compromised. Years before Nehemiah was born, the city of Jerusalem had come under attack. It had been left in ruins for years and the walls had crumbled. And I think some of the parallels probably for you and I are pretty obvious, and that is that over this past year, we have come to experience kind of all these attacks against us, and when we inspect and evaluate our lives and our lives at home, we're realizing that, man, there's some cracks in our walls, some holes in our walls, and maybe that some of the walls of our lives have actually crumbled over this past year. And so we're in this season of rebuilding and saying, God, we want to be strong at home. Now, when we left Nehemiah's story last week, we found him inspecting the walls of the city, but he did it in secret. He didn't tell anybody yet what his plans were for actually rebuilding and restoring the city of Jerusalem. He found when he inspected the walls that they were in terrible shape, right? They'd been left in ruins. They were actually on the ground. And so we pick up now at the end of chapter 2 of Nehemiah, and he just inspected the walls, and he's about to kind of tell the leaders of the community what God had placed in his heart. So we pick up in Nehemiah 2, verses 17 and 18. Read along with me. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we're in. Right? Come on. Like like you and I, here's the parallel, right? We've, We've come through this year that's just been so challenging in so many different ways. And we go, you know what? You know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. And its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. 
Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. Now I see in these these, uh, verses here what what Nehemiah was doing is he was acknowledging three different things in this statement that he just made to all the, the leaders of the land. Number one, he acknowledged the problem. Things are bad here. Like, look around. There are things that are just not right. We're in bad shape. The walls are down and we're in trouble. But he didn't stop there. He also acknowledges God's provision. In other words, even though things are bad and we're in trouble, we're not stuck here. God is at work. Not only has he given me a plan, you know, Nehemiah is going to tell them here, not only has he given me a plan, but he, he's given me favor with the king. I love that. But also he acknowledges, third thing, he acknowledges his need for help. He says, let us rebuild the wall. In other words, I can't do this alone. Now, in those three acknowledgements, I think there's something that we can take away from this, like right now. Yes, this early in the message, there are some takeaways, right? You don't, we don't have to wait to the end of the message. Right here in Nehemiah's words, I think we need to also realize these are three things that we need to acknowledge in our own stories. But it can be difficult to acknowledge these things. First, we need to acknowledge here is where I'm in trouble. Like last week, we went through a process of like, how do we actually investigate, you know, go out and check out, examine the walls of our life? If you missed that message, you can go back. We actually gave a little tool of how you can kind of take inventory of what's going on with the walls in your life. I, I've done that this, even this morning, just reflecting again. There's some areas that I need to strengthen in the walls of my own life. But we need to acknowledge right here in this wall, I am in trouble. Sometimes our pride gets in the way. We don't want to acknowledge like where we're actually like crumbling, where we've got cracks in our walls. We don't want to do that. But that's exactly what Nehemiah did. He said, here's where we're in trouble, guys. And we need to do that as well. But we also need to be um, willing to acknowledge this is where God has provided things for us. Like, Even though we're in trouble, we are not stuck because look at what God has provided. Now listen, it can be really hard, especially when we know we're in trouble and kind of the walls are compromised, you know, around our life and we're feeling unprotected. We can so easily forget all the things that God has done for us, but we need to be reminded and acknowledge, oh, that's right. Man, God has given me his love He's given me his grace. He's given me the offer of salvation for my life. He's actually given me the power of his Holy Spirit to get after these things. 
that, are, you know, that have been torn down or maybe kind of in ruins today. But with God's help, I can rebuild these things. We need to be reminded. We need to not forget, but we need to acknowledge, God, man, you showed up in so many ways. In fact, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be standing here today. So we need to acknowledge not only where we're in trouble, but how God has provided. And then we need to acknowledge, like Nehemiah did, here's where I need help. Here's where I need help. You know what? I think this is an area that sometimes women do a lot better than men in saying, you know what? Not only am I in trouble, but right here in this part of my life, I need some help. I can't get after this all on my own. I need to acknowledge, man, there's trouble. God's given some, you know, grace and provision, but I need help. I need some other people to come alongside me in my life and help me to rebuild and restore my life. But it's so beautiful in this story that right when Nehemiah acknowledges, like, we're in trouble, God's providing some stuff, and man, I think we can do this together. I love the fact that immediately there's this response where the community rises up together and said, yes, let's go for it. Let's rebuild the wall. You know, I think when we're truthful about our situation, that what we're going to find is that people readily are saying, hey, I'll help. What can I do to help? It's usually when we refuse to acknowledge our areas of struggle, refuse to acknowledge where there's cracks in our walls, that we end up suffering alone. And that's never what God has intended. And we see, man, as soon as he acknowledges what was true and what was real, there was this immediate cry, yes, let's go for it. Let's rebuild the walls. And then in chapter three, I'm only gonna give you a taste of what's there, but I'd love for you to go and just read through all of chapter three. But I wanna give you a taste of then what happened when they said, yes, let's go for it. The whole of chapter three, it kind of echoes what we see in the first couple of verses. So let's just look at the first couple of verses of chapter three. It says, then Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and the Tower of Hananel. People from the town of Jericho worked next to them. And beyond them was Zachar, son of Imri. What we discover here is that this entire wall of Jerusalem, as you read through uh, chapter 3 of Nehemiah, it's like group after group after group, after family after, I mean, all these people took a section of the wall and were working side by side on this is my area. This is what I can contribute to. And it was the entire community. There was no one left out. There was community leaders that were involved as well as servants. There, there was priests involved, as we just read. And you'll see there were merchants. There were sons and there were daughters. 
there were people, it says, that were rebuilding right at their home. Like, like they lived like right across the street. I'm going to build, rebuild this portion. But there was also people, like it said, we just read from Jericho, from other surrounding areas that came in to assist. It took everybody in the rebuilding process. And we're reminded here that all are needed to rebuild the walls. No one is left out of this story. But what I want to do for the next moment, I want to circle back to something I skipped over right before chapter 3. It's kind of right in between where, you know, Nehemiah acknowledges those three things and then people say, yes, let's go for it. Let's, let's rebuild the walls. I skipped over this little part. And, and I want to get into this because this is going to help us frame our next minutes together. Check this out. Last week, I introduced to you two bad guys that are these reoccurring characters in Nehemiah's story. They're Sanballat and Tobiah. They're just bad guys. They're the enemies uh, of the people of Israel. And not only are they back this week, but they brought a friend with them. So Nehemiah 2, 19 and 20 reads this. It says, but, but when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab heard of their plan, as soon as they heard what Nehemiah was acknowledging and everybody's like, yes, let's rebuild the wall. As soon as they heard it, they scoffed contemptuously. I mean, that's like, they didn't just scoff. They scoffed with great contempt, right? Who do you think you are? They asked this, what are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked. Now I replied, Nehemiah says, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall, but you have no share legal right or historic claim in Jerusalem. What we see here is that the enemies did not attack with sword or spear. They came in a more surprising way. They didn't come with an attack of an army. They attacked with mind games. They tried to like, like get into the mind of the people and plant these seeds of doubt. Like, are you rebelling against the king by fortifying this city? Now, Nehemiah, immediately, we saw, he shuts them right down, right? I mean, he just like shuts them down. You have no business being here. You have no right to this conversation. But, listen, this is how the enemy always works with us. It's always mind games with our enemy, he starts with our minds, trying to create false narratives that are intended to poison our thinking. Now, you may remember, if you're familiar with Scripture at all, way back in Genesis chapter 3, when we're introduced to Satan, came in the form of a serpent, right? And he has this conversation with Eve. And do you remember what the serpent says to her? Because it's all mind games. You know, the enemy says, the serpent says, did God really say? 
did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Say, really? Really? Are you sure that's what God said? Because see, the enemy works to plant doubt by creating these alternative possibilities that sound like they could be true. Hey, this thing right here, this really won't hurt you. And we're like, oh, maybe, maybe, that, maybe that could be true. And he goes on, man, just try it. It is going to blow your mind. It is so good. And we're like, oh, okay, maybe. I mean, you know, is that alternative, you know, reality? Maybe is that possibly true? You know, and then it's like, well, you know, if you don't try, you're never going to know how good it is. Well, I guess that, that sounds true. If I don't try it, I won't know. And then it's like, you know what? And in like in the garden, it's like, you know, God's just trying to control you here. And in our scenario, it's like, you know what? Your parents are just trying to control you. That's why you're not doing that. Or, or maybe if you're like out of your parents' zone of influence, maybe it's like, you're a pastor. You know, that pastor, Tim, he's just trying to control you. It's like, wow, you know, maybe that's true. Maybe my parents really don't have my best interest in mind. Maybe my church is just like spouting stuff that, you know, it's like, maybe I don't need to listen to that. Maybe they're just trying to control me. It's mind games, and it's how the enemy always works. Now, Nehemiah, of course, knew that this was the case. He knew what was true. He knew that they were not rebelling against the king by building these walls. In fact, the king had said, go for it. I'm even going to help you. But the rest of the people, the whole community, they didn't know that. So the enemy is working here to try to plant these seeds of doubt, these kind of alternate scenarios that sound like they could be true because, man, if, if they started to believe that maybe the king is unhappy with what we're doing, and, man, if he is, we are in trouble because he could just send an army and wipe us out. Maybe I shouldn't get involved with this whole rebuilding process after all. Listen, this is why God's word in the New Testament instructs us to take every thought captive. Like every idea that comes into our mind is not the truth. Some of it is just the enemy's mind games. And that's why we're instructed to take every thought captive. Now, we're going to actually come back at the end and we're going to look a little bit more closely where it says that in the New Testament. But I want to first take a look at a, at a few other things. Because I want to talk for a moment about the wall of our mind. Now, last week we talked about five distinct walls that kind of God has used to frame our lives. And one of them is our mind. It's a gift, this wall. It is meant to be a protective resource to protect us from the attacks of the world and life and, and the enemy who is out 
to get us. He's given us these intellects that allow us to process ideas, to make decisions, and then to remember our past decisions and the outcomes that those things led to, right? Our minds, they process ideas, they make decisions, and then they remember, okay, what happened last time that I made a decision like this? What an incredible gift our minds are for protecting us and keeping us safe, okay? But I want you to now think about this past year that we've all experienced together. You know, 2020, the pandemic, I believe that this wall, this protective wall of our minds has just been really overwhelmed. It's kind of like this constant pounding of these rising floodwaters to the point where I believe that a lot of our minds have kind of been breached by everything that we've had to encounter and go through and even process in our minds. I want you to think about this because before 2020, before we had ever heard of COVID, our brains were already busy. They were already tasked with all the normal stuff of life that's never gone away, right? We have to navigate all of our stuff at work. We've got to navigate all of our personal relationships, right, at home and friends, kids, parents, all, all the, the relational things that we have to deal with. You know, our responsibilities, paying bills, uh, you know, doing all those sort of things, uh, going to school, even shopping, all the kind of stuff that we just normally have to do, our brains already had to keep up with. But then 2020 came into the picture and our brains have had to deal with so much more, right? I mean, we've had to now deal with this like existential threat to our very existence of an invisible virus and how we're to like try to keep ourselves and those we love around us as safe, or at least as safe as is practical, right? Then we've also had to process the grief that we've experienced as people around us, I mean, have, have become ill and some gravely ill. And knowing that there's been over 450,000 people just in our country that have lost their lives to this invisible virus. And many of those have been people that have been close to us family and friends. It's, I think it's hard to find someone now who doesn't know someone who's died from the coronavirus. And so we're processing this grief. And we're also processing the stress that our minds have had to go through of how to redo our lives at home, right? Like finding new ways to like work, finding new ways to go to school, finding new ways to do everything in life. And all of this has been done in the backdrop of having to wrestle with a country that has been so terribly divided over racial issues, over political issues, and our brains are just having to boom, boom, process all of this. It's like the floodwaters are rising and rising to I think where, to be honest, all of us, have had points where the wall of our mind has been breached by just all of this onslaught 
of things that we've had to deal with. And I'll tell you, I have felt like my mind has been breached by this constant barrage, the rising floodwaters of this past year. How about you? Plus, the, the pandemic has, has taken away kind of normal ways that we deal with the floodwaters, right? When, when all the pressures of life kind of build up, you know, normally in normal situations, because in past years, we've gone through stuff and had to deal with all kinds of processing of things, but we had other ways to deal with it other ways to kind of channel off some of this water so that it wouldn't breach the, the wall of our mind. One is we just, we would get together with people, right? I mean, we would hang out, whether it was with family, whether it was with friends, we would actually join together with other people, right? Whether, whether it was like going out with people after work, whether it was having people over into our home, whether it was coming to church and actually being able to stay and hang out and like just be with other people. Well, that's like almost impossible now. I mean, that's been so, so challenging, but that was one of the primary ways that we would deal with our stuff and all of these things that we're having to process. Also just like going out maybe for a little bit of entertainment. Do you remember what it was like to go out like to dinner in a movie, right? When's the last time that's happened? You know, with everything being closed down, we've just lost the opportunity to do that. Maybe going to a kid's sporting event, the occasional Dodgers or Raiders game, right? It's like, man, those things we just haven't been able to do to just help us unwind. Kind of like those normal ways that we would find to just get a little bit of rest from this barrage that we're faced with. And those things have been stripped away. So not only have we dealt with more, but we've had fewer opportunities to process that in ways that we always used to. So what's happened? Well, I think, as I've said, I think that the, the walls of our mind have kind of been breached by all these different things. And many of us, many of us have turned to kind of destructive behaviors in order to just try to find some relief. Now, I don't want to like glorify these things and I don't want to like read you tons of data because you can do your own Google searches on these things, although you may not want to. Um, but, you know, there's been a whole lot of people to just, I think, try to find relief for their overstressed and overwhelmed brains that they've turned to drugs and alcohol. The rise of substance abuse has been dramatic. In fact, the Centers for Disease Control last year like did this study where they said more people, uh, like in the year ending in about May, had overdosed on drugs than any 12-month period in our nation's history. Just tens of thousands of people had lost their lives. And they said while it was already bad, what they saw was there was a surge of overdoses happening right at the beginning of the pandemic. And I don't think that that has tapered off because people are trying to just find relief for their brains. And so they're turning to things like drugs and alcohol. A lot of other people have turned to pornography 
just as this mental break, this mental relief, something that, can, that, I, that, that we can turn to in our brains that, that is not just all of, this other, all of these other things that we're having to deal with. The two biggest porn sites in the world, it is, it, this is staggering, but the two largest porn sites in the world collectively have an average of six trillion monthly visitors. You say, we don't even have that many people in our world. No, not even close. That means that there's a whole lot of people going a whole lot of times to try to find something for their brains to be fed in really very destructive ways. These two porn sites outrank those going to Amazon, to Netflix, and to Reddit which are also like really, really high on the list. And I believe that young people, I know that young people are doing this even at a much greater percentage than maybe moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, although it affects us all. Everyone may get caught in this trap, and especially this past year. But the statistics on this are heartrending. They just, they just break my heart. We're going to be talking about this a little bit more in some coming weeks. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But parents, we need to recognize that it's not just like people in our generation that are struggling here. Our kids are struggling in some profound ways. And we, as parents or grandparents or caregivers, we need to realize that part of our responsibility is not only taking care of the walls around our lives, but around our homes. And that includes all those who live within our homes, and especially our kids who are the most vulnerable. The last thing that people we've seen are really have been turning to in some dramatic ways is suicide. People that have been so overwhelmed that they have not felt that they could get relief anywhere else, so they actually are entertaining the possibility of taking their lives. The Centers for Disease Control keep statistics and, uh, on, these, on these things. And last year, they did a, quite a, an intensive search to find some new data, like how is the pandemic impacting people's mental health? And what they found is that 10%, listen to this, one out of 10 people, more than one out of 10, said that they had seriously considered suicide in the past 30 days, over 10%. Now, this had more than doubled from just two years prior. It's staggering how many people are just saying, man, I don't know if it's worth it to go on. I just feel so overwhelmed. And again, this is greatly impacting the next generation's even more, in more staggering ways than older generations. Three out of four young people, three out of four responded to that survey saying that they had seriously considered taking their life in the last 30 days. Listen, if you are at a place where you are overwhelmed, I wanna tell you a couple of things. One is that we're here for you. We would do anything in our power to come alongside of you with help, with appropriate just spiritual counsel and, 
and just being there as we can right now, one for another. But I'll tell you, if you are really struggling, there are other places you can get help. And if you are one of those people that have felt like you may want to end it all, there is a national suicide hotline. I'm sure you've heard of this before. But even right now, we're putting up on the screen that you can call 1-800-273-8255 to get help. Because there are people that have dedicated themselves to helping those who are struggling, especially with saying, I just can't go on any longer. We need to be aware of these things. And I think what we need to come to those three acknowledgments of Nehemiah and say, man, we're in trouble. Yes, God has given us some different areas of provision, but we need help. We need help. We need a strong mental wall, one that not only protects us from things that would be coming in, but it also helps us to evaluate these, these attacks, these, these things, these floodwaters. We need to evaluate them and say, hey, some of them just don't belong here at all. So I, wanted, I said we were going to just close by looking at this one scripture from the New Testament where it says that we need to take captive every thought. So let's just turn for a moment at the end here to 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. I want you to just listen to these words of the Apostle Paul as he's reflecting on all these ideas, of, especially of our minds. He says, listen, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments. We demolish arguments. And I just want you to pause right there and, and realize that's exactly what Nehemiah did when as soon as the enemies rose up and tried to plant these, like, these poisonous thoughts in the minds of the people, what did he do? He demolished their argument. He said, absolutely not. What you are saying is a lie. I mean, so he just like unpacked it and demolished it and said, you have no business being here. Shut your mouth, right? That's what Nehemiah said. He demolished the argument before it could take root and rise up to try to breach the wall of people's minds. So he said, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up, I love this, against the knowledge of God. Like if it's not from God, it does not belong. And then he finishes by saying, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I mean, there are these arguments, these thoughts, these ideas, and maybe even images, especially when it comes to pornography. There's these thoughts, these ideas, these images that are in complete conflict with all that God has done for us. Everything that we see in his word, they are in conflict with the good news of Jesus, that he has come to set us free. And yet we wrestle with so many thoughts that you're not good enough that you're not going to make it, 
do you might as well just pack it in and give up now? In fact, we sometimes even believe the lie that people would be better off without us and our problems. So, hey, just take this drug, just click on this website. No one's going to know. It's going to bring you relief, right? Things, Because things are never going to improve. So how do we crush these thoughts? How do we demolish the arguments? We're just going to finish. I just want to share with you, I just think, a few things, unpacking what the Apostle Paul said right there, to take every thought captive, demolish those arguments that are in opposition to Christ. Listen, three things that we can do. One is to take those thoughts prisoner. We need to take them prisoner. Too many of us treat those thoughts like, yeah, you're not worthy, you're not good enough, you're never gonna make it, might as well just give in. We, take, we treat those thoughts more like house guests than, we, than like home invaders. Those are invasions then they needed to be treated like that. So we need to take them prisoner. That's literally what he said, like take them captive. We need to like grab those thoughts and like say, whoa, 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 you ain't going anywhere. You aren't coming into my home. You're not coming into my mind and like setting up permanent residence here. I'm taking you prisoner. And then we need to like interrogate the prisoner. We need to like say, wait a second, this thought, where did it come from? Where did you come from? Did you come from God or did you come from some other place? Maybe you came from my weariness. Maybe you came right from hell itself. But we need to interrogate and say, where did you come from? And then we need to make them obey which is what the scripture says. Like we need to take these thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. So if that thought ain't gonna obey God, guess what? You're out. Just what Nehemiah did to like cast that out and not allow that negativity to come in and poison the minds of himself and the community. Take the thoughts prisoner, interrogate them, and then make them obey. Kick them out if they're not from the Lord. And listen, I believe that God's given us all kinds of things that we can do positively with our brains to help find the relief that we need, right? Saturating our minds with God's word, saturating our minds with worship to the King of Kings, the lover of our soul, man, just saturating our minds with the goodness of God. It's like, yes, we need to be doing that. But then everything else that he's given us in our power to do to also find good rest for our minds and for our souls. Like pick up the phone and call someone. Yeah, you may not be able to get together over a meal right now. Don't let that stop you from reaching out to others, doing other things. There was a lady in our church that, that texted me a picture of a painting that she had done. And she was like, man, I'd done this like whole paint by numbers thing. I couldn't believe it. it was beautiful. But she found something of beauty to like focus on and do this, which is so beautiful and creative. 
Man, my wife over this last year has spent hundreds of hours in exercise. And I'm just so proud of her because she found something that was good as a way to just relieve some of this bombardment that we know that we're all going through. And you all know, if you know me at all, that I have flourished in my hobby of photography uh, over this past year. I've just so enjoyed that as this creative outlet. So yes, give your mind to God's word, to worship, but man, all the other things that God has given us for our advantage to help find relief for our mind, we've gotta do things maybe that we've never done before. Because some of the other ways that we used to process all this stuff, well, we can't do that right now. It'll be here again one day. But don't wait. Find the rest and relief for your minds that God has allowed because we need to be strong at home and we need to make sure that that mental wall is strong and secure for ourselves, for our kids, for everyone in our home. And never be ashamed. Never let pride stop you from saying, here's where I'm in trouble. Will you help? Jesus, I thank you. Lord, for your presence in our lives. But Lord, I'm also so thankful that you've placed others in our lives that we can reach out to. Others in our lives that we can like throw out a lifeline, whether it's a, a pastor, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, a parent, a child. People that we can call out to and say, hey, I, I just need to talk to somebody right now. Lord, may the enemy never convince us with his lies that it's too late, we're too far gone. Maybe we've given in to things so many times that we've just like, we're just filled with shame. God, would you help us to rebuild that which has been broken and to be strong in every area of our life, including in our minds. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful, so thankful for you. In your name, Lord, amen. Man, been good being with you, church. We're going to rejoin this conversation next week. You're not going to want to miss it. We're going to have a special guest drop in. I can't wait to introduce her to you. Your love. See you soon.